Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Forum. Today, I'm delighted to have with us Ms. Christine Chipola. Uh, Ms. Chipola is uh, Regional Director for Asia and the Pacific for the International Committee of the Red Cross. Um, thank you so much for joining us and taking thank out you. the time. Thank you for having me. Great. Uh, Christine, I wanted to start off with uh, a discussion uh, very briefly on, um, you know, the, the, the region that you're looking at, Asia and the Pacific. This is uh, an immensely large region. We're talking about billions of individuals, um, a variety of political systems, cultures, languages, ethnicities. Um, how does the ICRC operate uh, to, to gain access for its, its you know, important humanitarian work that it does? No, thank you. This is an extremely important question you are asking, a good, crucial one. Um, for the International Committee of the Red Cross, having access means being in proximity with the civilian population. Of course. And here it is about being close to the needs of the people, the, the, the suffering they have. Mm -hmm. And in order to be there, to bring assistance, to bring protection, to be with them, we need an access. And access is something that we do negotiate mm -hmm. with parties to the conflict in a given situation of conflict of or violence in terms of having ICRC teams, uh, having a secure access to the, the civilian population. So in terms of security, we mm -hmm. have to negotiate those. And also in terms of trust and negotiations, we need to have the trust of the parties to allow this humanitarian assistance to be channeled through, uh, through us. And for that, sometimes we need to negotiate a lot. We need, they need to, we need to work in transparency. We need to be predictable, but also we need to work in accordance to the uh, principle of action, such as, um, independence, neutrality, impartiality. And those are key elements that really are helping us in our negotiations to gain access to the civilian population. And that proximity is absolutely key because mm -hmm. without that proximity, working in remote areas, you have less, um, less, less clear, um, you, you are, you are less close to those populations so then you Absolutely. can you can help them differently so no I, I, that's that's it's very interesting and and i think one of the the biggest issues that we're facing now is is really looking at the complexity of conflict mm. and the complexity of the you know humanitarian crises that we see around the world do you feel that within this um uh, complexity that is arising has it become harder for uh, you know issues of access is issues of uh, you know being able to address uh, organizations like the icrc or other humanitarian organizations to address these more complex um you know, crises that are taking place. Indeed, you are very right. And I think these complexities have been there for a while and are only increasing. And here, maybe we can talk about this uh, urbanization of conflict. Absolutely. Uh, you have seen those through uh, the latest uh, wars. We have that in Syria. We have that in several parts of the world where you see that the world is changing. The cities are getting more urbanized and hence the war is as well getting more urbanized. And here, these are the facts that we, we realized. Here we have a cumulative effect of, if you want, in one hand, the conflicts mm -hmm. that previously would take place in remote areas or rural areas that are getting closer to towns. And here you have this cumulative effect here. So here we are with... Um, a lot of infrastructures that are being destroyed. And I saw that recently in Afghanistan, for example, um, where the conflict took place, the protracted long-term conflict that took place over the years, two, two or decades, three yes. decades, exactly, where <coughs> you see that critical infrastructures is being has been destroyed. And here we are talking about critical ones, <laughs> hospitals, water supply, electricity supply, 
morgues where you bring in the persons who have died in the battlefield and you cannot cope anymore with those infrastructures because whenever you bring in they are overwhelmed by those needs it Mm. means that having those systems destroyed would bring side effects that you have not uh, planned first. So this urbanization of war is really something that is is, is of a key critical uh, uh, concern for us. And for that, we are trying to have the uh, international humanitarian law position here. I think it's important that we mention that respect of international humanitarian law during warfare operations. That's really important for any army or parties to the conflict that are involved in Whether those. these are in urban areas or in rural absolutely. areas? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And to avoid to avoid as well using the weapons with a wide impact in populated areas in particular. And here you have heard about this explosive weapon in populated area mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. for which the ICRC is really much supporting ongoing discussions here with states and on the to have a political declaration, a state political declaration on this explosive uh, weapon in populated areas. I see. I that see, could absolutely. be, um, you know, a statement, a stand that popul- the state would take there. And our position here has been always, you know, given the, the, the suffering and the long-term as well effect mm-hmm. on those, uh, the impact of the urban warfare is to really avoid uh, uh, those uh, the, to avoid um, explosive weapons in populated area to really avoid them, Absolutely. and hence the uh, political declaration around today. Eighty states are being discussing with that and are participating participating for consultations. Uh, that's very encouraging. That, uh, that, that's very encouraging. That's very encouraging. But we we need to continue doing more on that one. Of course, and 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 just just staying on the topic of uh, urbanization of conflict. How do you feel? Um, you know, the ICRC has to adapt to this. You know, this new trend that we see, where urbanization. I, I mean, conflict is shifting towards more urban settings. Uh, are there particular things that that you know uh, humanitarian organizations are adapting to to see this uh, new reality? Especially when we see that mm-hmm. you know urban urban settings. Uh, all of the the, the mm. factors in conflict suddenly get exacerbated, right? Mm. You have greater concentrations of population, you know, uh, easier recruitment for non-state actors or, or um, you know, more targets, uh, their funding uh, for, for, for such mm. groups. All of these factors come in. So how does, uh, you know, a humanitarian organization mm. then adapt to the humanitarian crisis that could come about? Yeah, that's an important question. And I think here comes the, uh, the cumulative, cumulative effect of this, of this war, which for us, it's not anymore about provision, provision of an emergency type of service. <laughs> it's very much on the mid to long term effects of that. So we have to adapt to that and providing an emergency response is not sufficient anymore today. People in those part of, of, of those type of settings or, or, or conflict, they're asking for jobs. They're asking for employment. They're asking to go to the hospital. They are asking to go to school. And those critical infrastructures have been, having been destroyed. There is no more access to that. So we have to really adapt to a, short-term emergency response, but mm-hmm. already thinking in our planning and financing multi-years uh, impact of that on the civilian population here on the social, economic, but also on the psychological impact towards mid to long-term response. And I think Absolutely. these are important um, programming that we need to have in mind very quickly in our planning uh, rather than before we would 
maybe delay a bit those response. So we would hand over that to uh, development agencies or, or with this nexus of emergencies and development. Now, today, we have to adapt to that quickly because um, we, we've seen through, throughout, and one of the, uh, of the examples is really indeed Syria here, <laughs> where uh, urban uh, settings have been destroyed. Then then you, you have really generations of, of population that are really lacking those you know those those critical um, infrastructures and essential services to rebuild their life and life are, are being fallen apart. Absolutely, especially the protracted nature of these these conflicts. Yes. We're not talking about one or two months or years. We're talking about you know often decades sometimes with these conflicts remaining, and and so the support needs to be able to sustain for that long at times. You are you are very right, and for the ICRC, we have been involved in all those uh, conflict for more than thirty years. Wow. So Absolutely. very protracted needs, protracted <clears throat> conflict. And here um, we, we have this urbanization of warfare, but we have other cumulative effects, in particular the climate, uh, for which here we have, uh, um, you know, layers of problematics that are piling up on already layers of vulnerability to a given population. And climate is one of them. Absolutely, Christine, and that's exactly the point I wanted to come on. Um, w- what we're seeing now is, is that, you know, climate change has become, we just have had COP26 and, and a discussion on, on climate change. And there's a very significant impact that climate change is happening on how armed conflict and conflicts between nations uh, or within nations even uh, is taking place. How do you feel that climate change is, you know, shaping the potential for armed conflict in, in you know, the Asian and, and the Pacific region. Indeed, I think here the concern is 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 very accurate, and I think we have um, acute. Even you have to be very aware that uh, today a conflict is not really a single thing. We just talk about the urbanization, but when you see situations like Afghanistan, for example, today, Absolutely. when we talk about drought, uh, recurrent drought throughout seasons um, or floods. We have those cumulative effects. So you have a population basically living under um, protracted conflict for years without having access to essential services, struggling to maintain a social life, a normal life, if and at all if possible. At all possible yeah. Exactly. And then on the top of that, you had uh, the climate change. And here you have... Um, it triggers a number of of of, uh, of problematics here. Among them is displacement of population. Of course, and yeah. we have seen that in settings that are linked to conflict. But we have seen that also in other settings, particularly in in Asia and the Pacific, a region that is very much affected by the climate change. And here, it does not sometimes is linked to the conflict, but sometimes it is not. So we have mm-hmm. to really incorporate those elements. And here. We are working very much with uh, a number of organizations that have been very vocal, that have been working for many years already on those aspects. And I think here the key word is to be able to prevent, to be able to have the element of prevention, anticipation and working with others. Uh, here, I think it's very Being able important. to coordinate in that. Regard. Exactly. Exactly. No, absolutely. I think that's, that's, a, that's a very important area that we've touched upon. And um, do you feel that with, you know, climate change being such an important uh, aspect of of I think decision making going forward um, that that you know humanitarian organizations and humanitarian action in itself will have to evolve to be able to deal with this, uh, especially in the coming years. I think we have to, and this is the evolution that has started already. Uh, we mentioned few elements on on how we we have already in our programming changed 
the approach we had from a very emergency to a mm-hmm. mid to long term. We have also to adapt our finance, financial support, um, where we could plan for short term. We need now to have multi years planning and financial support. We also have, because of, of, of the, the added value of the ICRC in those places, but also because we have been in those countries for many years. And we have um, a clear understanding of those needs. And we have, be, because of this access and this proximity mm-hmm. we were talking at the beginning, I think there is a trust uh, in, in, in our, in our work. So we need to deliver differently to deliver better. And for us, the challenge comes out also in terms of security and access that we said. Of so course. it's, it's, a, it's, um, constant daily work of the team and the team I have in Asia and the Pacific towards those, uh, very, uh, difficult challenges. But nevertheless, uh, at the end, we do mm. the best to, to reach out and to, to, to you know, to advocate on behalf of the persons who have no voice, uh, to be their voice, but also we advocate to government, to states in the respect of international humanitarian law, in the respect of, 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 uh, you know, having advocacy around those very key issues. And that's what we do every day. And, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by a team that does a great job. Well, thank you so much. And, um, uh, Christine, I want to thank you so much for taking out the time. Uh, I wish we had more time to discuss all of these issues because we're having such a good discussion here. But thank you again. I'm sure our viewers will be delighted to hear your views on this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks to you.